California camp cruise, weddings NYC, Shadow Lake, Snow, Shipwreck, RV, and Ski, Hawaii, Burger Garden, Papers, Beer, Bad Barbie, it's a Babysitter's Club, super special. Welcome to Stuck in Stony Brook, a podcast about the Babysitter's Club. Today, we're discussing super special number four, Babysitter's Almost Die, JK, <laughs> Babysitter's Island Adventure. I mean, interchangeable titles, equally as descriptive. <laughs> yeah, adventure is like misleading. Best super special by far, though, so far. For sure. I cried. Yes. This is good. I yeah. like cried? I did. Yeah, you cried? Esme, Esme cried. No, yeah. I actually don't remember if I cried. Well, I, was, Emily, I was taken. Emily, you're the only person who cried in this book. Yeah, I mean, I'm fine with that. <laughs> <laughs> I like every time Dawn has an identity crisis, I have an identity crisis. So, like, I don't know why that's surprising. <laughs> that's true. That's true. That totally uh, makes sense. I was thinking about you. <laughs> well, this book was fun for me because I was just like watching the two of you figure it out on a desert island. So, yeah, and it, it, this is also the most Anne book by far. Anne is currently doing victory hands. Yeah, and crumbled and under pressure, and like you saved me somehow, and like that's disconcerting. I gotta go talk to my mom about it. (laughs) Dana's like, let Anne have this one, Emily. She really needed it. Yeah, Yeah. she really did. She needed needed the reinforcement. Uh, Okay, speaking of island adventures. Oh yeah, I don't know. I was just thinking about how many adventures I'm excited to have. Now that I'm fully yeah. vaccinated. Y'all. Okay. So we're all fully vaccinated, but Emily being the fantastically social millennial that she is, is the only one that has like eight different trips lined up in her life right now. Um, it's Maybe very eight? excited. Uh, yeah. Excited? Exciting. Exciting. Yeah. I am excited. I mean, things are still tentative, right? Barring any unforeseen new global disasters. <laughs> and and uh, like uh, 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 thresholds yeah. for herd immunity etc cetera, etc cetera, etc cetera. but yeah uh i love a plan i mean in the before times i used to ha- have my summers fully booked like from the weekend before my semester would end until like two weekends after the new semester would start <laughs> just like plan after just plan like- Social plans. Social, social plans. plans. Yeah. For a long time, it was a lot of weddings. And then after that, it was just like, oh, I can have fun without going to a wedding. That's nice and arguably cheaper. Yeah. So for sure. do you like like having plans set up for the entire summer? Or does it make you feel really anxious and like makes you just want to retreat back into perhaps your room and shut the lights off and crawl under your bed? Are, are those are those my only two options? Or? <laughs> this is an amazing. This whole episode, dear listener, I think is going to be a fantastic window into the many facets of Anne and Emily. That question was very telling. Okay, so why are we talking about all of Emily's adventures? We, as many of you probably know, we started this little project in the middle of the pandemic when we were all locked at home and. Uh, Two thirds of us were relatively underemployed and uh, we all had some free time. And now some of those things are different. Some of those things are the same, but uh, we can leave the house more. So we are finding that between our two coasts and our three schedules, it is getting more and more challenging to get a quality product out to you every single week. Is that a fair summary? Well, I think the real summary is Emily just has lots of 
trips planned and we can't <laughs> we can't do it every every week anymore. Uh, I'm happy to assume all of the blame. That's fine with me. <laughs> if if and if that helps you. <laughs> fine. All right. So we this we are switching to an every other week release schedule, like many other fine podcasts out there, including my current favorite podcast, You're Wrong About. Do either of you listen to You're Wrong About? No. No. Okay. But that Everyone sounds like something I would really enjoy. Yeah. Um, if you like anything that Emily says on this podcast, you should listen to You're Wrong About because it's like two journalist Emily's talking about the 90s mostly. It's great. Anyway, they come out every other week. Maybe we'll be opposite them and you can either listen to Stuck in Stony Brook or You're Wrong About. That would be helpful for me since I've forgotten the 90s. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So have they. They're both millennials. It's it's a good show. Highly recommend. Wow. Anyway, we'll see y'all every other week. Occasionally we might drop a bonus episode in there in between times but mostly we'll be every other week but we promise we won't go less than that it's going to be great so do you guys have your one sentence summaries no <laughs> you have to go first <laughs> okay and then you'll think you'll think of yours while i share mine uh yep mine is actually simpler than usual for me this week um usually i try to encapsulate more of the story but mine is just claudia is a badass pretty accurate and how about you I just want to, I'd like to point out that I have never been more Claudia than this book. <laughs> I have written down in like six different chapters, so Anne, all over. Like, it's ridiculous. And I read it last week before you read it. And I was like, Anne, this is you in this book. It's really freaky. So yeah. Agreed. Well, that's the weird thing. I don't think I even, besides the obvious of both being Japanese with almond-shaped eyes and an exotic look, I don't really <laughs> feel like I have all that much in common with Claudia up until this book. And I was like, wow, we actually, like, that end part where she talks about being practical. Oh, my God. Dude. It's like a whole Annie Chikawa speech. It's yeah. ridiculous. Yeah. All right. What's and, your one-sentence summary? Oh, that wasn't it? <laughs> All right, Emily. Turn it into a sentence. It's like, I am Claudia. I am Claudia. Is Claudia. Yeah, there you go. So you feel kind of like when um, Emily read Dawn of the Impossible 3 and like cried with recognition through the whole thing. That's what Babysitter's Island Adventure is for you. Mm hmm. Okay. (laughs) Oh, Esme's really good at the self referential internal plug situation. Yeah. My one sentence summary is boys can be good babysitters too. It's a reference to Jeff, since we always mm. forget Jeff. Yeah, you can't, Jeff. Forget Jeff. you can't forget Jeff in this book. No. Jeff is invaluable. I love yeah. the Jeff plots, man. Mm-hmm. He gets a little the spotlight in this book, which is nice. Also, Bart can except apologize. For the whole, except wow. for the whole fishing thing. What? Hold on. What? You have, you have an issue with Jeff fishing? <laughs> he kept them alive. Just, we'll get to that later. We'll Ugh. get to that later. Okay. Um, did you hear me say that... Bart can apologize and wow. I know we were talking about Jeff, but I just couldn't. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I really was yeah. like, wow, Bart's, you know, what a good guy. What a hot guy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Agreed. <laughs> 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 oh, wait, you guys, we should probably back up and tell you about the members of the podcast. I'm Emily Crandall, a feminist scholar. I'm a total individual and I like health food. I'm Annie Chikawa, a freelance writer. I'm a mischievous pragmatist with a sweet tooth. And I'm Esme Schaller, an adolescent psychologist. I'm kind of bossy, but I have a big heart. If you want to learn more about us and how we know each other, check out our prologue episode. Also, rate and review us. It really helps people find the podcast. 
And if you have any questions, comments, or commentary about anything BSC-related, drop us a line at stuckinstonybrook at gmail.com. Hey, guys. Is anyone uh, looking for a new podcast to listen to? Always. Yes, indeedy. Love the podcasts. Well, you're in luck. Hi, I'm Jody. I'm Allison. And we want to talk to you about our podcast, The Bloom Saloon. It's a Judy Bloom book club. We actually read each book one by one and discuss every chapter in minute detail. Yeah, so you don't have to read along. Or you can. That's fun, too. We do dramatic readings, which I think is the most fun. We get really into the characters that Judy's created for us. Jody, what's been your favorite book that we've read so far? Tiger Eyes. What about you? Are You There, Goddess Me, Margaret? Is a classic, and we were just so taken with that book when we read it. We've done Dini. Wifey. Lover. Then again, maybe I won't. A non-Judy book, Domestic Arrangements. Shout out Norma Klein. Otherwise known as Sheila the Great. Tales of a Fourth Grade Nothing. Forever. Who could forget Ralph? I'd love to forget Ralph. (laughs) It's not for kids. We record every episode in The The Bloom Bloom Cocoon. A cozy embrace. A magical space. For friends like you. Okay, so I hear that we also got some helpful listener feedback. What's this all yes. about? I like that we always characterize listener feedback as helpful. <laughs> <laughs> it is helpful. So last week uh, we were talking about Burger King. We uh, had a, a few different comments about it on Instagram. So um, uh, one of our frequent listeners, Michael, let us know that Burger King is good for because they have a vegetarian burger um so if you're a vegetarian it's a better option usually than mcdonald's but he did acknowledge that the fries are total trash so as long as he's on board with that i was fine but we were speculating about what places are called in other countries and our listener mc from australia sent us some information that i really like so one is that burger king exists in australia in australia but it's called hungry jacks i'm sorry what yes that's incredible. It's Hungry Jacks. It's totally incredible. I don't know what it means, why it's called that. Wait, do they have um, Jack in the Box? Oh, hold on. We should have, I need more information. <laughs> okay. Well, it's, it's a different time in Australia right now. So I don't know if we can get more information from her immediately, but Fine. it is called Hungry Jacks. Okay. Uh, wait, there's more. The better burger option that's the superior burger joint is called Ribs and Burgers which I feel like is just kind of a little on the nose, but I also like it. Like, you know what you're getting, but there is a chain. Actually, I kind of want you guys to guess the name of this chain. It's relevant to our topic today and it's a pun and it's a vegan fast food restaurant. I want you to each try to guess. It's a pun. And it's relevant to the shipwreck sub, not subplot, the shipwreck plot of this super special. I was like subplot. What's the, what's the plot? (laughs) I'm still a little hung up on ribs and burgers. Like, mm-hmm. do you order ribs by the rack? Do they come in like a package individually that you just gnaw on? Yeah, I know. I know. Okay. I need another hint, please. Um, It's a, a literary pun. A literary pun that has to do with a shipwreck? You probably read it in high school. Some people, not just our Australian listeners, some other listeners are yelling at their pod right now. Okay, you ready? Yes. I love it so much. 
Lord of the Fries. Oh, I- oh, yeah. I guess I did not remember that the catalyzing event for that plot is a shipwreck. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah. Wow. Lord of the Fries. That's incredible. How great is that? Yeah. I would like a vegan fast food restaurant. I would like to go to there. So what do they what do they sell? <laughs> Lords and fries, of course. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Incredible. All right. Well, thank you, MC. That really delighted us today. All right. I guess we should talk about the plot of this book. Okay. I, I like love it. this book. Esme loves I'm- this book. I look at her. I couldn't look at her eyes. They're so big. So excited. Yeah. I was surprised. I, you know, ever, there's lots of snarky comments uh, on interwebs about this book and how unbelievable it is. And we can get into that, but I, I thought it was a very well-told story. I thought there was actual plot. I thought, you know, the other super specials are sort of strung together. Right. Um, And there's like, a bunch of individual events that are happening to each babysitter. Mm-hmm. I sort of liked that, that this is the first time that I've used two and a half pages of my Moleskine notebook, almost three pages instead of just the two to take my notes about the book. Because I also really liked that like Dawn and Claudia had more chapters than other people. Yeah. Cause it was more their story. There wasn't like an arbitrary balancing. Mm-hmm. Um, and it has real illustrations that don't look all weird. Mm-hmm. Um, I know. Somebody got a bigger I, art budget for this right? book. <laughs> yeah. Disappointing there was no junk food machine from which we could discern what the junk food was. But <laughs> I, know. I guess that would have really that put a dent in the out. survival plot. Yeah. Uh, no, yeah. I mean, I, I agree. I really liked it. Um, I, I did think that the some of this, like... The bow on it, which was that we all had different experiences of this weekend and we all learned different things about ourselves. I was like, okay, like Christy, Stacy's one was the only one I was like, yeah, your thing seemed important. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Everyone else was kind of like, uh, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's, I mean, it's really. But it's that does really not make or break the book. Yeah. That. Yeah. No, not at all. That's just a little, you know middle grade YA bow on the end of it. Mm -hmm. Right. Fine. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the book starts out where they're taking sailing lessons, Mm -hmm. which I just kind of bought into, but now I'm like, what? Why were they taking sailing sailing lessons? That's true. Your daughter is taking sailing lessons. My daughter just, yeah, my daughter just finished a round of sailing lessons when people live near the ocean, sometimes they take sailing lessons. Are you going to let her sail away with, like, some young children in a boat? <laughs> She's not 13 yet. After after she turns 13, yeah, okay. she'll be old enough. So, yeah. Yeah, so Don and Claudia are the most, are the best sailors. At the community center. Yeah. Claudia is somehow really good at sailing, in addition to skiing. Mm-hmm. She's clearly... Uh, physically gifted which is also true about Anne. Anne is really good at any sport she tries pretty much immediately but isn't there a moment when she's like oh like she links her sailing experience to her skiing experience doesn't she i think in one part she talks about how she likes the feeling of wind in her hair and maybe that's why she likes skiing and skiing. yeah i i think there is a moment where she like talks about skiing in the context of talking about sailing 
And it's not her saying, I want to do all of the sports that really rich white people do. No, surprisingly. Yeah. <laughs> she talks about that Checking. in a different context. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah. What do you think is the next like sport she's going to take up in a, in a few squash? <laughs> yeah, polo. Oh, yeah. Oh god. No, she's aspiring to that racket club status. You know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for totally. sure. I too can make references to prior episodes as we. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> nice work. Thank you. Two episodes ago. <laughs> you know what? Shut the fuck up. <laughs> <laughs> so they are the best sailors. And then they convince the like sailing teachers to let them sail a race on their own to this little island off the coast of Stony Brook, Greenpoint Island. And then somehow they decide to, um, t- well, no, they do that one and then they tie mm-hmm. because of Claudia's uh, ineffective fashion choices. Mm-hmm. Um, otherwise, she would have won. But her earrings are in her way and her hair is in her way and her like flappy jacket is in the way. No, she's she wearing one of her dad's shirts with the sleeves rolled oh, up. Oh, right. Yeah. So good. Flappy totally jackets. <laughs> um, and then. <laughs> the biggest trend this year. Flappy jackets. And then they have a rematch, but somehow they decide to take children as their um, skippers. So up until this point, I know, like, unbelievable, unbelievable. I know you had a big problem with the sailing, Anne. But I was thinking about it kind of like, you know, when people grow up near a thing, they're more likely to do a thing, right? So, like, people that grow up in the mountains in the snow ski from a really, like, shockingly young age and do a lot of skiing. Or, like, kids in Hawaii, like, three- and four-year-olds learn to surf and swim in the ocean all the time. And so it wasn't totally unbelievable. Like, in the sailing class that my daughter just took, it was supposed to be for teens, but there was a nine-year-old in it because she had been sailing with her family since she was like three and already knew a lot. And so they let her take the teen class because she was already really experienced. So granted, we have seen no evidence of that in the prior 35 books, but it's not totally unbelievable to me that a 13-year-old on coastal Connecticut could be good enough at sailing to sail on their own. Emily's been nodding this whole time, which you listeners can't hear, but she's she's with me and remains skeptical. Sure. I mean, yeah, I think I mean, we talked about this kind of like in some babysitting context. Like, I think when I was 13, people were putting me in charge of very young children that like now I would be like, what? Why would you let a 13 year old watch an infant, for example? But like mm-hmm. at the time, it made sense. I, I can see it. I just don't think that I think a 13 year old can be good at sailing, but I don't see mm-hmm. like parents letting a four year old on a boat with them. You know, yeah, that part so, is a little so, unbelievable. Yeah. As the only parent on this podcast, that gave me a panic attack. <laughs> like, <laughs> I, like I barely let my, you know, significantly older children now be on a boat with their uncle in Lake Tahoe, not with the ocean. Like I, that seems very, that seems very unlikely. It's like a small sailboat that doesn't hold more than three people. And Jamie Newton is one of them that, that part. Yes. Mm -hmm. And I don't think we've got enough evidence in the books that like, if they were going to be that good at sailing, we would have heard of Don and Claudia sailing before they would have had to spend some other time sailing. 
Yeah. Well, Dawn chalks her experience up to California, which, like, we don't get much of anyway. Which means she was younger than 12. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, honestly, like, I sort of suspended reality for the drama, which totally. is, like, why I love drama <laughs> in general. Yeah. Do you guys know how many times I have watched the show Pretty Little Liars? No, Emily. How many times have you watched Pretty Little Liars? Like four. <laughs> like the whole series? The whole series. There's nothing believable at all about it, which is what I like about it. <laughs> That's amazing. A bunch of teenagers commit like 75 murders and like never get caught. It's incredible. Um, that's not really the plot of the show. Sorry. <laughs> okay. Moving on. <laughs> Spoilers. <laughs> so anyway, so they go on this trip to Greenpoint Island, but then a storm comes. A very and a very dramatic scene takes place mm-hmm. where you think they're all gonna die. Yeah. Yeah, it's really scary. Right? <laughs> it's really scary. I was like looking from the book back to my shelf of other BSC books, like showing myself that there were future Dawn and Claudia books as I was reading. Wait, did you really? I mean, a little bit. <laughs> I didn't have to actually look at the physical books, but I was like, oh, it's okay. There's more. Okay. So they get basically storm comes and then there's this dramatic scene where like Dawn's boat starts to sink mm-hmm. and they have to like abandon ship and like somehow find Claudia's boat like through the fog and dark and mm-hmm. like jump into the water and swim to her boat. And then, yeah, they have to attach to the boat. Ugh. I know. I was like, what? And get all the supplies. Get all the supplies. But Thank then God luckily, for Jeff. I know, you know, Jeff, real hero. And then luckily they, they hit land soon thereafter. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the, the island adventure begins. Yes. So what what jumped out at you, Anne? Well, this fishing situation. What's your problem like, with the fish? It's just like Jeff is like, I'll be BRB. And then he's like, I just took the safety <laughs> pin and a stick and some string and I caught all these fish. He like, catches like two the first time and they're small, three. And him and yeah. Don each have one and a half and they were barely full. He didn't have any bait. Like, he just couldn't catch a fish. I okay, mean, Emily, I have a funny story about this. Okay. So, <laughs> is there, I feel uh, like I'm husband, missing something right now. <laughs> Anne's, Anne's husband, Micah, born and raised in Florida, he uh, agreed, you know, we were having a conversation with him about the, the sailing, and he agreed that that was totally preposterous. But then Anne was really hyper focused on this fishing thing being implausible. And Micah's like, you could totally do that. It's not that hard to catch some fish. Like, yeah, even it's a little harder without bait, but you could do it. Well, you know, I used to fish all the time and Anne like lost her mind because apparently her husband's this like master angler and she had no idea that he'd ever been fishing in his life. He called himself Micah the Angler. Oh my God. Wait, when did this happen? <laughs> he was when like, he was I like don't... a child. No, but he no, was no. like, uh... when did this conversation happen? <laughs> oh, like yesterday? Oh, yeah, like last night. Okay. <laughs> well, I hadn't read the book by then, so that's fine. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I just, it's just kind of like, I, I've watched a lot of survival shows. <laughs> you know, those are fake, yeah. right? Well, and they still can catch fish. Yeah, so. they can't catch fish because it creates drama. Yeah. 
no, you, no, if no, you really no. needed to, you could catch fish with your hands. Fish okay. Not that smart. She's not wrong. We need to have, we're going to have a special podcast <laughs> episode where we all go somewhere and try to catch fish with their hands and we're going to see what happens. That sounds like the worst <laughs> podcast really episode ever. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Anne's going to catch like 25 fish. <laughs> we can't even eat all these. We have to throw them back. <laughs> I won't catch any, but it's just because I'm bad at things. So this is like the, your thing with this book. The fish? <laughs> Yeah, fish. That's well. I mean, a lot of other stuff happened. But that's it, your pop culture segment. Oh uh, no! <laughs> yes, it's it's. I watch a lot of Naked and Afraid, and people never catch fish. <laughs> okay, but really, let's talk about these fifteen candy bars that Claudia <laughs> brought with her smartly. Brought with her on this trip. No, Whereas smartly. Don Don brings a bottle of spring water. Because she, her and Jeff love spring water. What? <laughs> she brings ridiculous. a lot of bottles of spring water, not just one. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, if that's the only thing Anne's Don... unimpressed. <laughs> well, Don's crumbling in the cave. Anyway. <laughs> so I was thinking of, well, we know that there was a Mounds bar in the mix. Because she mm-hmm. mentions that they eat a Mounds bar. But then Which I was is thinking, not as healthy as an almond joy. It's too bad it wasn't an almond joy. I know. So then I started thinking about what would be the best candy bars to take on an island adventure in the case that you did get shipwrecked, and perhaps mm-hmm. the worst candy bars also. Mm. So of course, the best candy bars would be ones with protein. This is a weird version of candy store. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> another reference to episode 34 that's chalk two up for emily do you guys want to play candy store and you guys can be people you can be like hey we're going on an island adventure no no this is candy store shipwrecked edition (laughs) what 15 candy bars are in your bag (laughs) i'm crying (laughs) Okay. okay wait what candy bars have the most protein Snickers? Snickers yeah, have anything with Snickers. peanuts. So like there's a lot of candy bars with peanuts. So Snickers. Oh, payday. Payday is a good one. Can I tell um, you guys pay- a weird story? About payday? No. I don't think that's appropriate on this podcast. <laughs> like- um my dad, who's like a real health nut when we were kids, the candy bar that he used to be most okay with us buying because of its nutritional value was a candy bar called Whatchamacallit. Do you remember those? Mm-hmm. I love uh, this. Yes. I just yeah. referenced it. Yeah. Really? Yeah. That was like a Pete yeah. Crandall, like, this is fine. If you must eat candy, you may eat this candy. So I vote whatchamacallits in our in our shipwreck um, supply bag. Yeah. What I didn't like whatchamacallits. Oh, you didn't like them? How come? They, they, do, they have lots of peanuts, right? With the no, I think mm-hmm. they just have, I think they have it's like peanut nougat. butter in them. Oh, that's why. And there's like a rice, like cake yeah. kind of layer to them i don't remember but I frankly think there's it's all some whatchamacallits in there yeah <laughs> wow so do you guys not want to play candy store no <laughs> not again <laughs> okay <laughs> hold on though i need to know what's actually in the whatchamacallit i don't remember all of the things do you guys actually caramel rice crispy caramel peanut flavored crisps and great chocolate taste. So it's not actually peanut butter. 
I don't know. I don't think a whatchamacallit is the best option. Yeah. Okay. Peanut flavored crisps. Pete was wrong. Yeah. It didn't make my list of best. Okay. It didn't make oh, you my have list, a list of worst either. Yeah. <laughs> okay. 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 So um, we got ding, 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 ding. Oh, hello, Miss. No, we're Come not in. playing Candy Store. Uh uh-uh. uh. <laughs> Tell us your best and worst lists. <laughs> we are half an hour into this episode. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. Um, peanut butter cups, Reese's peanut butter cups, mm-hmm. um, sure. almond joy, baby Ruth, payday, big hunk, mm-hmm. zero bar, mm. Mr. Good bar, oh Henry, and Twix. Because, hmm. because why? Easy for sharing, and you can eat one now and perhaps one later. <laughs> there are like six candies in there I've never heard of. Really. Yeah, like okay. the hunk something. Big hunk? Don't know what mm-hmm. that is. It's kind of old fashioned, I guess. Mm-hmm. Oh, I Henry's know. old fashioned too. I don't know that one. Um, there were like. But two then I realized if anyone was like allergic to peanuts, they'd be dead. That would be a really bad, bad list. Yeah, yeah, totally um, screwed. Yeah. So on worst list, I got Uno. That was the only candy bar I liked when I was I know. a younger kid. I know. <laughs> Uno. <laughs> It's just like chocolate. It's like whipped chocolate, kind of. Um, I think there's little shards of something in there, but it mostly just tastes like chocolate. Mm-hmm. It's pretty mild. Tasting. You just said whipped chocolate with little shards of something. Is that supposed to <laughs> yeah. sound tasty to me? <laughs> no, I don't like it anymore. It okay. was my favorite when I was a kid. Yeah. Do you know what it actually has in it, Anne? No, I think it's just like rich, creamy chocolate on the inside. Yeah. I don't know about shards. But <laughs> I don't think that's in the product description. <laughs> it has ground almonds. It has ground almonds. Shards so of almonds. Shards? That's what it is. Yeah. <laughs> it's shard. It's ground almonds. That's what the Unobar is. Okay. Truffle-like center covered in milk chocolate and ground almonds. Moving I wasn't on. making it up. That's what those shards were. Go on. Shards. Shards are like sharp. They felt sharp. I was small. I was a small child. So you liked a candy bar that had a sharp feeling to it in your mouth. I haven't claimed to not be weird. Tell us what else is on your list. Okay. Three Musketeers, too airy also. Yeah. Crunch bars, uh, also the same issue. Um, Abba Zaba is mm. actually, I feel mm-hmm. like, dangerous because mm-hmm. it could like <laughs> pull someone's tooth out. Pull out a tooth. Yeah. <laughs> Um, and there's like a lot, like, I feel like Pochamacallis weren't bad or good, um, but yeah. really you just want that protein, pack in that protein. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, but the mounds was a mess, I feel. Mm. Yeah. Because yeah. as but we know. it's fruit. Because Almond Joy has nuts and mounds don't. Mm-hmm. That's right. Okay. What else, Anne? <laughs> I like how our I mean, pop culture segment is... 45 percent candy, candy. I yeah mean, i mean we'll edit we'll edit a lot edit this out don't oh worry. will we <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> i mean the rest of my stuff is really just about claudia so if you guys want to go first <laughs> we can just circle back to me <laughs> <laughs> recording at night is fun <laughs> emily what did you notice <laughs> Emily, Emily, what did you notice? Hello, yes, Esme, I'm here. Um, Hello. There's a lot of... I bet 
Emily's going to say something that rhymes with spark. <laughs> I wasn't going to talk about him yet. <laughs> <laughs> I, didn't I already talk about him? That was like the yeah, first I thing I said. <laughs> we were talking about Jeff and I immediately pivoted to Bart. <laughs> All boys. I, so there were a lot of kind of funny one-off gender things in this book that I thought were really interesting, mm-hmm. especially as kind of paired together. So there's like, um, first the kind of focus on Jeff as a babysitter, which I think, right, they never say like, oh, it's interesting that Jeff's so good with kids, like, because he's a boy and we wouldn't expect him to be, but they do spend a lot of time kind of ruminating on his um, ability to you know, care for the kids to keep them entertained. And I thought that was kind of interesting. Mm-hmm. I thought it was good that they don't say, right, like, it's weird. He's a boy. Like, we wouldn't expect mm-hmm. him to be good at babysitting. They just kind of, like, affirm his specific skill set, um, which mm-hmm. I thought was was really cool. It's, like, a really good, subtle way of being like, hey, this is a kind of universal skill that anyone can have that's not linked to your sort of biological destiny. Um but I did – there was two kind of woman things that occurred that mm-hmm. sort of pull in opposite directions. So the, there's one offhanded comment that Jessie makes. It's a parenthetical. Did you catch this? Uh, when she's – it's like her first day with Squirt and she's talking about how tired she is from chasing him all around. And she says, I don't mm-hmm. know how mama does this all day every day. And it's like mm-hmm. it's mama. It's not the parents. Um, mm-hmm. And that kind of – paired with um the scene at the end when they're finally getting rescued and Haley reflecting on the um you know they're like I hope there's a doctor and she's like I, I can't mm-hmm. remember the exact phrase but there's something along the lines Claudia of, says like he'll he'll fix you up really good Jamie yeah yeah, yeah. and then Haley's like it, the doctor could be a woman and then the doctor yeah. is a woman. And so there's, it's a kind uh-huh. of, it's not a one-off comment. It's a sustained sort of commentary. Like Haley's like, see, mm-hmm. I told you, like she, she's the doctor. Um, and I thought that was kind of funny. It's like the specter of kind of gender roles is both being undermined and like reinforced at the same time, which I think is like mm-hmm. a really common kind of occurrence in these books. But I thought um, they were just sort of funny compliments to an otherwise like pretty like neutral plot as far as like gender mm-hmm. and and other kind of sociopolitical things go um mm-hmm. and then of course like there's a question around access to sailing that's it's just sort of mm-hmm. lingering right like how much do these sailing lessons cost like i don't know mm-hmm. and, and like also how big is stony brook this like notion that the entire town right they they're mm-hmm. like they speculate that maybe school will be closed on tuesday if they're not rescued because like all the teachers are out mm-hmm. looking for them and i'm like how many people live in stony brook and how rich are they really like i think i think we've been mm-hmm. rendering some of the babysitters families as kind of like middle class and like chris you know watson's like the rich one but i'm like i think they're all rich mm-hmm. they're just like degrees <laughs> of rich don't you think yeah I don't know. Yeah. Interesting. I don't know. Like, is Mrs. Barrett rich? I mean, she had a messy divorce, so she might have, like, mm-hmm. money tied up in that. But she also mm-hmm. has a house with three kids and can afford mm-hmm. a babysitter. I don't know. I don't mm-hmm. know. Yeah. I was just thinking about that. Do you think Do you think Watson yeah. owns a boat? Uh, mm. 
I think if he did own a boat, his neighbors do. He would have been out searching, right? Like Mm, that's true. But also, the Pikes like are they renting these two giant boats for three days in a row? Like the Pikes are fucking rich as hell. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Well, you know who had a boat? Whose dad had a boat? Bart. (laughs) Michelle. Oh, oh, wait! I thought you wrote in the book. Are you kidding me? God damn it! What kind of boat? <laughs> Just like a motorboat for the American River. Oh. You know, it wasn't very big. <laughs> um, does yeah. anyone have any comments on any uh, things I've raised so far? I have a couple other nugget type situations. I mean, I do like the 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 comparison and contrast of Logan and Bart, and how mm-hmm. they reacted to to their to their respective situations. Yeah, I'm I'm starting to believe that Anna Martin hates Logan just as much as Emily does. I don't know why (laughs) she's having him hang around so much. Like, it is very clear in this book. It's like how to be a shit boyfriend, how to be a a nice quasi boyfriend. Mm -hmm. Like, Mm -hmm. it's like so. And and look, they're not supposed to be perfect. So this is like Logan gets really mad at Marianne for standing him up because Don doesn't give him a message. And then Bart gets mad at Christy. No, no, no. Hold on. Logan gets mad at Marianne because Marianne assumes he stood her up. And he's like, how could you ever think I would do that? You don't know me at all. That's what he tells her. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Which I just found funny. Like, I I feel like if Logan said that to me, I would just laugh in his face. Like The fuck? The actual fuck? Like, what are you talking about? Go to hell. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then Bart gets upset about Christy canceling the Crushers Bashers game because she wants to help look for Claudia and Don and Haley and Becca and Jamie and Jeff. Jeff. And then he <laughs> last. And then he realizes, then he like sees the news and realizes what a big deal it is and he feels really guilty. And then he calls and apologizes. Um Yeah, he actually says, I'm sorry. Just I mean, he still which gets I also a jab like in is there. A good match for Christy. What's the jab? He's like, I, mean, I don't know if this is the right time to say this, but like, you exaggerate, so I didn't believe you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Except that I think it's not actually a jab because Christy's like, oh yeah, fully, fully, I do that. Yes, that's like fair point. Mm-hmm. Like, I think it would be a jab if she wasn't sort of dramatic, right? right? If he was calling her having an emotion dramatic in the way that lots of guys do, but I think to... Well, like Logan does to fucking Marianne. Exactly, exactly. But I think to Christy, I didn't think it was a jab. I thought he, like, read the situation and she could take it. It was accurate. Yeah. Um, I have a couple other very small things that I can rush through. I thought the Stacey plot was really interesting, and it kind of like sat interestingly with everyone else. I feel like we're just in this huge. I know that Stacy's having like a health crisis looming, but I feel like mm-hmm. there's just been a lot of like building toward Stacy things, like more so, mm-hmm. like almost as much as there was like leading up to Mimi's death, right? Then like all the books mm-hmm. leading up, it was like gestures toward Mimi's illness, her forgetting things, blah blah blah. And I feel like we're getting a lot of groundwork for whatever is coming next for Stacy. Mm-hmm. But um, so in general, I thought that plot was really interesting. But did you guys notice, like, in the very beginning of the book, um, when I can't remember if it's Don or Claudia is doing like 
the diminished version of the introduction that they do in the normal books. And mm-hmm. um, there's a Stacy, the Stacy moment. The narration goes like, uh, her parents got divorced recently. Her father still lives in the Big Apple. So Stacy gets to go to the city and visit him any weekend she wants. Lately, she hasn't been going in as often as usual, though. Stacy has diabetes and hasn't been feeling great. I think her visits have turned into command performances. Her father says, come, and Stacy goes, whether she wants to or not. Mm-hmm. Which just felt, like, really kind of dark. <laughs> mm-hmm. I mean, I get that that sets the stage for Stacy's kind of, like, rebellion and the note that comes, mm-hmm. um, that, like, exchange she has with her father later. But I was like, wow, like her visits have turned into command performances. Like that's like a turn of phrase we don't normally see in the books. And I thought it was it like really struck me. I like stopped reading when I read that. I don't know what to make of it really. Yeah. It sat fine with me psychologically because I think it's really common as to to use the uh, BSC parlance as divorced kids become divorced teens. Um, I think it's very common that, you've spoken about this a little bit, like the pull to be with your friends and be where your like school life is makes it hard. Like you ha- felt bad sometimes because you had stuff to do in Visalia and didn't, you know, wanted to see your dad, but didn't really have time to go to three rivers over the weekend because you had like a game or a party or whatever. And so to me, it sat kind of like that, like she, the, the command performance being like, no, you got to come spend some time with your dad. Um, even when she has these other Stony Brook commitments, but I can, I can hear the darker tone. Yeah. I guess I'm just now thinking about like, like, I don't think I would have referred to it like that or thought about it like that then. And to me now Mm -hmm. performance, I guess in part because of like, my critical training, my, my critical theory training and like Mm -hmm. background has like a different connotation. And it's like, Mm -hmm. so on the one hand, right. Like if we're talking sort of gender queer theory, performance is just like a theory of like self in some sense, right. That we're not this like singular entity that kind of like, um, you know, is born exists and then dies and like nothing, you know, enters into or emerges right and so like performance is like an alternate theory that we're like recreating Mm -hmm. creating and recreating ourselves kind of in every gesture there's a a bunch of of different dimensions to it but there's also this kind of like sinister sort of um like to me valence to that in that particular context that like that that relationship is kind of like mere performance or that like i don't know that there's Mm -hmm. something to it that's about the performative rather than about like other kinds of connections or connection yeah yeah and i i just like i feel like we don't encounter phrases like that often in these books and it just like really Mm -hmm. jumped out at me so i don't think it's like an inappropriate Mm -hmm. way to to characterize like what stacy's going through but i I just the phrasing Mm -hmm. itself kind of like really struck me it's a very very long and detailed aside for a two word phrase but like (laughs) i was like (laughs) yikes command performance wow anyway i think those are all my nuggets nice (laughs) I like that Emily's just fallen into calling them nuggets. So nice. <laughs> um, I had I had a question for both of you, actually. So like due to your previous life as a journalist and um, not that you were, you know, doing the kind of reporting we see on the scene for the like 
what it, what do they end up calling it? Like the the Stony Brook boat crisis or something. It's like the disaster, like, I think. Oh, this is Connecticut disaster, yeah. right? So um, there's this through, and then given your views on capitalism and the entertainment economy, um, Emily, I, this question is for both or either of you. Um, there's this through line kind of leitmotif of reporters being monsters during this situation. So several times when one of the girls is suffering um, while they're while they don't know what's happened to Claudia and Dawn there, uh, some reporter comes up and like shoves a microphone like in the car with Stacy and her mom or in Sharon's face or in somebody else's in, in Marianne's face. And it's always like, how, you know, knowing that your sister is out there missing, how does that make you feel? And then, you know, several different characters say, what do you think it makes? How do you think it makes me feel? And get, get, get mad at the question. And there's this sort of like villainizing of the press throughout until the end when there's like a press conference for the like returned castaways. But along the way, while it's still the Connecticut disaster, it's very clear that Anna Martin does not like these people and does not like this culture of disaster reporting. Um, and I was just, you know, it's not something that I have a lot of opinions about, but I thought that both of you might have some opinions about. I mean, I saw that more as like the whole book is very dramatic. And like, mm -hmm. I just see this as like a very cinematic device of the storytelling because it's like you watch a movie and that's what you like think of it's like uh -huh. someone coming out of the courtroom and like there are like reporters around you or like you're trying to leave your house and there's all these reporters you know swarming you so I saw it just kind of more as that uh -huh. but I have never been that type of journalist also no. I would <laughs> I would die if I had to probably <laughs> you didn't have to go ram your mic in adam brody's face when you interviewed no, him for but i film. did hot you should have <laughs> i did have to um do you like person on the street reporting mm -hmm. which is like really really hard for me and i like had a panic attack before i had to do it um mm -hmm. but i would i would just i would have to approach strangers on the street and i would make them listen to uh like a new album on like a discman and like asked for their like opinion on the song. That sounds terrible. And I was like, it was horrible, <laughs> but it was like good training. It's like there's so many things I've done in my career that are just like not anything I would ever want to do ever. But you know, <laughs> yeah, I'm, character. Yeah, I mean, it read as just sort of straightforward exploitative to me. But <laughs> mm -hmm. um, it, it's interesting to like frame it as a disaster too, because it's like when you think about what sells newspapers and like that kind of era mm -hmm. of, of reporting. I think it, um, it just read like pretty straightforwardly exploitative, nothing like mm -hmm. a little bit more sinister. Although if you think about what calling that a disaster is interesting in light of like how we talk about kind of things like disaster capitalism now, which is where like mm -hmm. something structural um, like caused like usually a some sort of natural disaster kind of intervenes with or is exacerbated by the absence of some sort of structural um you know support or resources that would have mitigated the disaster and then like the government gets blamed and then everything you know corporations come in and everything gets sold off and now you have this like private private public partnership for disaster mitigation that would have once been 
public and like that but like so it's interesting that they call it a disaster because I think now we like characterize mm. like disaster has a slightly different connotation mm-hmm. like who's mm-hmm. the sort of agent of responsibility for kind of the disaster matters for whether mm-hmm. or not we call it a disaster in that sense so I, I thought even the use of disaster was kind of interesting um yeah. and like a little outdated in that regard but uh, yeah. It didn't strike me as like particularly more capitalistic, other than sort of straightforward ex- exploitation of for for like mm-hmm. whatever the precursor to clicks was <laughs> views mm-hmm. <laughs> viewers. You know what viewers I'm saying? Slash yeah. readers. Yeah, I gotcha. Yeah. Retweets. I gotcha. Um, yeah, yeah. It was retweets in mm-hmm. 1991. Yep, I, I believe exactly. it's pronounced retweet. you're you're a rich wit (laughs) i'm not not (laughs) all right so stuff that jumped out to me this is not psychology but the things that i found unbelievable were that no one was dehydrated like yes claudia is a genius and she collected rainwater but there is they describe how little they're drinking most of the time and i cannot believe that not one of them was medically dehydrated that seems incredibly unlikely to me that's the least un- least likely thing in the book the second least likely thing is that jesse's parents would leave their 11 year old daughter in charge of their eight-year-old and their bebe for an entire weekend that seemed ridiculous to me you wouldn't let june watch keely <laughs> june watch keely <laughs> definitely not <laughs> <laughs> you mean keely watch june no i was making a joke about how oh yeah june's closer in age to, yeah 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 she's closer in age to jesse i wouldn't let mm-hmm. no i wouldn't leave the two the, yeah exactly great point they're almost 13 and almost 11 i mm-hmm. wouldn't leave the two of them alone for an entire weekend and there's no baby involved yeah so that just seems silly to me yeah um but why not why yeah. don't they just go stay at the pikes you know yeah there's plenty of space well yeah. and that's so. but that's like Interesting, too, considering Jesse's aunt, right? Like, the aunt comes in and is like, how irresponsible of everyone involved. And then Jesse's lesson is like, oh, adults don't trust me as much as I thought they did. And it's like, wait, what? That's their... I don't yeah. know. I think the lesson is they trust well, you too much. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah, I have in parentheses, she's not wrong about Aunt Cecilia. Like, why? You know, like... She shouldn't have been left in charge, but it wasn't, you know, the boat accident isn't Jesse's fault, but it's all kind of crazy. So Christy says searching is, I think, in this case, a form of therapy. And I just thought it was an interesting parallel to like um, people that, at least in Western culture, planning the funeral and dealing with the estate and doing all of that stuff after a death usually helps people cope better than just like lying in bed and thinking about how sad they are that their loved one is gone and that usually like doing some form of business helps us cope with very stressful situations. And so I just thought that that was a wise notion on Christie's part. And we see actually how Marianne is faring much worse um, when she's not out there helping compared with the rest of them. Um, So I, I just thought that was a nice little aside and I did really enjoy Christie and Bart's whole I thought the argument was legit. I did think that Bart as a 13 year old would think she's just trying to get out of the game or she doesn't care about it as much and she's not being dedicated. And then for him to see like, oh, this is actually a big fucking deal. Yeah, I fucked up. Sorry, my bad (laughs) was really, really great. And also like a nice parallel to Christy because we've spent a lot of time on the podcast talking about how 
Christy steps in it and she knows how to apologize. So I like that, you know, the boy she likes also knows how to apologize. That seems like a good pairing. I just, I feel like we're not getting enough of their relationship though. Can I like, she's like, uh, when he calls to apologize, she's like, she says, is he going to dump me or break up with me or whatever? And I was like, are you Mm -hmm. like, uh, are you really at the stage where he could break up with you? Like we, we have not gotten enough of this. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) More Bart and Christy. That's all Emily wants. Mm -hmm. Yeah. No, I agree. I agree. We need, it was like a delicious little taste. And meanwhile, we get like three, chapters of logan being a dumbass and marianne i am so being upset about it uh i'm just gonna say i'm so over logan but i guess i've been over logan since the beginning so it's been not over really since the beginning. like not really an observation excuse me <laughs> no goodbye <laughs> so this is random and is not psychology but i found super super interesting um there is an obituary so sometimes um i i work today between patients when I can't bear to look at my email, I just open the front page of the New York Times and like scan things for a few minutes instead of doing work that I need to be doing. And there was an obit today from a man named Pete Warner. Did, did either of you see this? Mm-hmm. I'm 100 years old, so I read obituaries. Um, and he was a sailor from Australia. And in 1965, he discovered... Lord of the Fries. Yeah, no. exactly. <laughs> He discovered Lord of the Flies. No, he discovered what people have said is the real life Lord of the Flies. He discovered these six Tongan teenagers who got shipwrecked on this island between Tonga and and Fiji and lived for 15 months on their own between the ages of 13 and 16, like doing what Don and Claudia were doing on this island. And they survived and like they made a guitar out of like driftwood and wires. They like had to drink the drink the blood of seabirds to get some liquid because there was no fresh water. Like all of this, one of them broke his leg and they made a splint and it healed perfectly. But they didn't, um, it wasn't Lord of the Flies because they like created this little community and they like sang together every night and morning and they had this whole thing going on. And then he returns them. They'd been missing and they'd had funerals and he returns them to Tonga. And the King of Tonga is like, is there anything I can do for you? And he's like, actually, I'd like to fish for lobster here and start a business. And so he's like, sure, I'll give you a permit. And then he hires all six of the boys to be his crew and they work together for years. It's this crazy story. And when the boys would get in arguments when they were on the island, they would just take a time out. They would each start walking in opposite directions until they got to the water and then they would walk back and hope that they had cooled off by the time they walked back and it worked. So they didn't like fight and argue. It was like not Lord of the Flies at all. Isn't that bonkers? And he died like yesterday. It was just in the in the paper today. Do you think he ever read this book? <laughs> but I wonder if Anna Martin read about those boys. I don't know. It happened in 1965. I'm over here thinking about how you're like, oh, I just scroll for a couple minutes when I'm supposed to be working. And I'm like, okay, well, I could do that for seven hours. But then you also like retained every single detail of this like obituary that you read for a couple minutes. And I'm like, I couldn't do that either. (laughs) Like, (laughs) It was fascinating. Yeah. Isn't that crazy? It's. I mean, it's wild and like a really weird coincidence that that was in today's obituaries this guy just died he was 90 years old he died sailing he like fell off his boat and then somebody rescued him but he didn't recover but i'm assuming that's what he loved because he was like this crazy you know adventurer wow 
Anyway, wow. I'll link to his obituary in the show notes. It sounds like a really cool story. There's a book about these these guys and the six guys are still alive. Amazing. They like they stole a boat from their boarding school, their strict Catholic boarding school, and they were trying to go to Fiji for some laughs and then they got shipwrecked off this island. Why is there Madness. a strict Catholic boarding school in Tonga? I mean, I don't know. Colonialism, probably, missionaries, but yeah. colonialism. That's why. Yeah. So let's get back. It all to how comes this is full the most circle. Anne. Yeah. <laughs> let's get back to how this is the most Anne book yet. Okay. Um, well, <laughs> well, let's update. Let's update the the plot of the book a little bit. Okay, go ahead. So basically, Don is useless, <laughs> and Claudia it, is really Anne. awesome. Okay. <laughs> Jamie Newton gets really sick. He gets very Dawn sick. stays with him and just like panics and feeds Jamie water. Meanwhile, Claudia creates a contraption to collect rainwater. She finds a mirror on the island to like use as a bat signal reflector to like signal helicopters. She cheers up Becca and Haley and Jeff. She gets the kids who don't want to eat fish to eat the fish. Um, she has the high highly caloric candy bars that get them through yeah i mean claudia saves saves the day really yeah um, maybe that should have been the title of the book <laughs> yeah. yeah well and then they they eventually do get rescued from using the mirror yes they like flag down a plane a search plane yeah and then the coast guard comes mm-hmm. with their parents and Jamie is very sick. He has to go to, they all have to go to the hospital, but Jamie has to stay in the hospital overnight. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they're all back home. And Marianne yeah. apologizes for being such a bitch before Dawn left. Right. For putting bros before hoes. And then when Claudia is like back reunited with her family, she says, it may not be school smart or book smart, but I'm practical. And I think I'm pretty good at solving problems, aren't I? And I was like, oh my God, that is me. <laughs> Literally, like I've heard Anne say some version of that, I so many times in our life together. I don't. Well, I, don't I think know. what's like I feel seen here because I have gone into, you know, I'm a creative professional, like whatever that means, and I always, you know, gravitated towards creative things. I'm not like a great artist, but I did end up being a writer. But I'm also extremely practical. Like, Mikey calls me practical Anne. Like, yes. he's always like, oh, pra- there goes practical Anne, you know? <laughs> so I felt that was to me, I was like, wow, I've never felt so seen in my entire life. Thanks, Anna Martin. Yeah. Yeah. Should, it was should we pretty... celebrate with playing some candy store? It was. <laughs> Emily just looked like she was going to kill Anne. I will Anyways. end this recording right now. <laughs> I also like yeah. when the plane or when they left, like Claudia was like, and some ring dings. I also wrote that down. <laughs> it's like page 190. I was like, oh, and then there's Anne. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so, the, okay, we'll send a Coast Guard ship to you as fast as we can. It will come equipped with food, water, a doctor, and your parents. And some ring dings, I hollered back. But I'm sure the pilot, whoever was yelling, couldn't hear me. I mean, yeah. that would make an excellent episode title, just saying. Oh, yeah. Right. Uh, that, that is, spoiler, that is my favorite line. Mm. I have that. That's the only one I have written down. Excellent. Um, well, well, the other spoiler, thing I did not same... write one down, so. <laughs> 
I wish that was a spoiler. This is what um, happens when I, I read on the Kindle because normally I take my notes I in know. the book, and so on the Kindle, I'm mm-hmm. like, I don't, I don't have any place to write it, so I'm just not going to no. write it down. It's a good life strategy. You know what? I don't, um, I don't need this shit right now. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, all basically, listeners, if you want to know Anne Ichikawa better, read Chapter Twenty One, this Claudia chapter. Like, it's a hundred percent Anne, even in the um, handwriting at the beginning. She says something that is super, super Anne, which is, um, the mirror worked. It really did. How many great ideas can I get? First the water collector and now the plane signal. Maybe I should become an inventor instead of an artist. I would probably make more money. Also, Anne, literally once a week, she tells me some fucking scheme for how she can use her big brain to make more money than <laughs> she currently true. makes I like thought... she's gonna be a realtor even though she hates talking to people she's gonna yeah. be a, like she like I... she's always talking about how she could make that and she could make more money like i feel 100% like of the time i like spit my tea when i read that line i thought i would grow out of that but i haven't <laughs> i still think someday that i am going to invent something that will make me a lot of money like, yeah. I still believe that. What was that thing called in elementary school? The invention contest? Did you, it's, it's did just you like, have this, Emily? Yeah. No. My my invention actually, like, it was chosen to be submitted to, like, the bigger contest. But I was lazy and I, I, I didn't turn it in on time. Oh. So I missed the deadline. So that's very Anne. You would have had a very was, good time in a PhD again? program where deadlines don't matter. It yeah. was, uh, oh, it was like a travel toothbrush where I like, I like rigged like a tube of toothpaste to go into the bristles so you could just carry the toothbrush instead of a toothpaste and a toothbrush. Right. So like the handle had now. the toothpaste in it and you can somehow squeeze it anyway. Yeah. I'm skeptical <laughs> of this invention. <laughs> All right. Yeah. I have one more one more nugget I wanna I wanna talk about how like Don like tried to train for this. Oh like, yeah. All her weird it. workout sequences. I was like, what are you and, doing? In one of her videos that she was doing, she she was running to give my regards to Broadway. Yeah. I was Which, like, I don't know if you know <laughs> Yeah. That song is like something our grandparents would listen to. That was like Anna Martin's old lady exercise song. It's like, give my regards to Broadway. Remember me to Harold Harold Square. Square. (laughs) Yeah. It's not, it's not a jazzercise ditty. Oh, there he goes. Tell all the gang at 42nd Street that I will soon be there. Should I get out my tap shoes? Get me yeah. out of here. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Was there any other candy other than the ring dings and the candy bars she brought on the trip, Anne? No, it was the mounds, the ring dings. And then there was a mention, there was like pretzels, I think. Okay. There's only one tally. They don't do this a lot in the super special. Although this, the, my one complaint about the super special had more explanation of the club than the other super specials. I'm like, I don't need it in a super special. I'm not picking mm-hmm. up this book if I don't know who the babysitter's club is. Don't tell me. True. Anyway, sophisticated was the only Are one. Are you picking up, up like Babysitter's Club number 76 if you don't know what the Babysitter's Club is? That's more plausible to me. Hmm. I think it's more plausible because the whole thing is the super special is like a departure from the regular series. And like, why would I don't know? Well, weirdest um, lines, favorite lines. 
Well, we have and some ring dings. Yeah, I yeah mean, that's all already, I got. We already know Emily doesn't have any, but mm, I no, also I had know. Watson says, "Resume your seat." Oh no, resume yourself. Yeah. <laughs> like what? Resume yourself. Yeah, that's weird. That's weird. I don't like that one. And some ring dings, though. Yeah, no, I don't like it either. Yeah. But- and some, and some ring dings. I feel like it's Watson stunning. says a couple weird things in this book. And I was like, what? what? Is this how he talks? Like, we don't have evidence for this. But I guess suspension of reality. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And some ring dings. Yeah. What shall we pizza toast to? I have a proposition. Yeah. What if we pizza toast to the dead sailor guy? Oh, that's yeah, really that's nice. nice. Yeah, that's really nice. I wish I could. Pete Warner. Pete Warner. That's his name. <laughs> Good. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> All right, a pizza toast to Pete Warner. To, to Pete, Pete Warner. Warner. This episode of Stuck in Stony Brook is now adjourned. Thank you to Anna Martin for everything. Stuck in Stony Brook is edited by Emily Crandall. Theme song written and recorded by Gary Schaller, performed by the band Kid Kid. You can follow us on Instagram at Stuck in Stony Brook or find us on our website, stuckinstonybrook.com. Need some books that we mentioned? Buy them from our bookshop and support both the local independent bookstore and your favorite series literature analysis podcast. Find us at bookshop.org slash shop slash stuck in Stony Brook. Lastly, if you're feeling doubly generous and you want to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, that would be super helpful. You're the best friend the girl could ask for. 